to the Library Talks podcast brought to you by Sutton Council's Cultural Services. I'm your host, Alfie, from the Cultural Services digital team. This week, we're joined by my colleague, Josh, who is the Digital Engagement Officer here at Sutton Cultural Services. Last year, we partnered with some video game designers and collaborated with some local school children and created a video game called Newsflash aimed at helping young people recognise misinformation and develop critical thinking skills. Uh, so I knew Josh would be the perfect guest to discuss this topic as he is a keen gamer and we took the opportunity to sit down at Sutton Central Library and discuss video games more broadly and why they're uniquely equipped to operate as tools for exploring social, moral or cultural issues and putting the player at the centre of these scenarios with important decisions to make. So with this and a more specific conversation about the news flash game, here is the Library Talks podcast with our guest Josh, Sutton Cultural Services Digital Engagement Officer. I'm Josh. Hi. Uh, I'm a digital engagement officer for cultural services and um, a certain cultural services that is in the south of London. Great place. You should come and visit sometime. Uh, and I, I'm a gamer. Um, and gamer is a bit of a dirty term. I don't like. Uh, <laughs> I, I, it's gotten a bit of a bad rap over the last couple of years. But like, I, I'm, yeah, I'm a bit of a games enthusiast. I love like, playing like kind of video games ever since I was a, ever since I was a kid. So this uh, will probably be a bit of a burden for you because we are here to talk about video games right yeah um, yeah it's so difficult <laughs> this is um this is outside my wheelhouse completely so what is your before we sort of get into the the meat of the topic yeah. what is your personal sort of history with video games what was the first console you owned the first games you remember playing oh you know what so this will uh, probably age both of us <laughs> as well <laughs> i mean everyone's got their own like uh i don't know like their personal kind of like start and uh, if your if your start is more recent than somebody else's start, then you're not considered like you know an OG kind of player in their <laughs> regard. My first console was a Nintendo GameCube in like 2002. Something oh really? Like that. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So technically a little bit later than mm. a lot of people. Like everyone, all of my mates that live anyway, um, their parents could buy them PlayStations and Nintendo 64s. But nah, I was on that train like a, <laughs> an entire generation after that. Uh, but nah, I grew up on um, like. Game Boy games, Game Boy Advance games, the Pokemon franchise, the Zelda games, the Mario games. Like, yeah, as you can tell, huge Nintendo guy, me. Yeah. Uh, and and I, like, um, went around other people's houses and uh, got in on Tony Hawk and uh, Spider-Man 2. Yeah, Nintendo 64 was a big thing for me, but I never owned one, so it was always friends' houses. Exactly. Uh, but I did have a Sega Mega Drive. Oh, I had a Sega Mega Drive too. Well, at least I still my, do actually. My dad had the Sega Mega Drive. Okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, and you know what? My dad was a bit of a scummy guy because he'd, uh, uh, you know, the start screen. Like if it's on the start screen, and then after a while, a demo starts playing or whatever. Yes. He'd unplug my controller and <laughs> just like Keep let the demo screen play, and and I think I'm playing. <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm fairly certain something similar happened to me as well at a certain <laughs> point. Um, so we're going to be talking about kind of uh, video games that have, I guess, a social message or a sort of um, a, an emphasis on sort of moral um, moral decisions and social consequences, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Um, I thought of it like when a game tries to be more than just a game. Right, like. and what do you think... Uh, if anything, video games can do that, for example, books or films can't do in terms of providing 
kind of moral or social uh, commentary, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it's a good, it's a really cool idea. Um, and generally, like, the power of video games, uh, as bougie as that phrase is, is, uh, is really, like, untapped. We're, we're getting to know more of it. Um, well, we're getting to know more of what video games can do, like, as time goes on and... Uh, uh, and the the art form is kind of pushed in certain directions. Uh, but I think primarily, first and foremost, uh, just literally the medium of holding a controller and physically tapping buttons, like actually doing that action and seeing the result of whatever you do happen on a screen is quite a powerful, um, I don't know, motivator or connection. Like, yeah, when you read a book, you know, your eyes are scanning across the page and you envision the scenes in your head, and that's fine. And with a film or TV, there's even less happening. Like, you know, you're literally sitting there passive and uh, a narrative is kind of flowing through you. But actually physically doing something and seeing that manifest in some way, shape or form on screen. And uh, the with some games, the technicalness, like uh, uh, what it demands from you, like, you know, the speed or the number of buttons you need to, like, press can really feel quite rewarding when you pull off something quite... I know quite cool that requires like a lot of skill like the the amount of like I don't know not necessarily like training or whatever but the amount of uh, expertise you need to have to like pull off something really really cool there's a feeling of reward to that and you can use that feeling of reward as motivation to do all sorts of all sorts of things whatever your you know particular like game project uh, wants to set out to do uh, and then also there's just a lot of um, there's a lot of lizard brain mechanics that happen in games like literally if you put like a coin and a ding sound that makes me want to chase that ding sound more right. and more and more <laughs> uh, uh, if you put if you if you uh, add numbers to something like if you um, I don't know if a sword swipes at a monster and then the, and then the, uh, a number comes up saying like 100 and then if you play a couple more times and then eventually the sword swipe and the monster says 500 then 2000 then 50,000 then a million that like shows like progression and you're getting better and there's an advancement to it. It's just, there are so many like like parts and elements and really small mechanics in games that can make you feel better than if you're just passively sitting there watching the final season of Game of Thrones. Mm -hmm. It's That reminds me of, uh, there's kind of, there's an obsession in the media when they're kind of, when they're trying to discredit video games as a medium. Yeah. There's this real <laughs> obsession with the only, the only kind of reward mechanic in games is points. Yeah. That you hear you hear people on um, certain American news networks whenever there's a new Grand Theft Auto game saying, "Oh, it's it's very dangerous because you run down the street and you can cut someone in half of a chainsaw and get 150 points." It's like <laughs> you haven't seen a video game for about yeah, 25 yeah, no. years. <laughs> it's, it's not like that. It's not all Space Invaders. It's not really about points anymore. Um, but yeah, I think that is kind of the the big thing. I think would be that it's kind of the only medium where even if the main character is a sort of made-up fictional character, it's kind of you are the main character, you are making decisions, you are doing actions. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, you, it kind of really... It's more than any other medium, I think, kind of puts the weight of decision-making on the shoulders and feeling the consequences of your decisions rather yeah, than... Yeah, yeah. And there's also, like, the escapism element that, um, you know, in the society um, we live in, in the world we live in, people, like, like that escape and there's more immersion, there's more, like, elements and there's more actions to do in a video game in escaping to that world and escaping to that character that 
people really appreciate that you don't get as much in a film. I mean, there's a certain, like, you know, suspension of disbelief that you get when you're, like, really into a good, yeah, book, film, uh, comic, whatever, but actually deciding that I'm this, I don't know, uh, uh, I, I'm this marauder and I'm going to like take over this uh, old Viking village or I'm Pac-Man and I'm going to gobble up the atoms, <laughs> gobble up the pellets rather. Uh, there's, yeah, there's like decision and skill in that, which I don't know, yeah, I absolutely, absolutely love. Do you think there are any like, sh- like shortcomings that are unique to video games when it comes to tackling social issues? Because we're kind of we're we're going to talk about some games that have done that, but the the list is quite short, really. It's kind of it's not what they're known for, generally yeah, speaking. Yeah. Do you think there's a, there's something about video games that means it's not? We've kind of talked I, about how it how it mm. can be done, but is there any reasons why it's difficult? Yeah, I, I mean, I don't think inherently uh, like the medium has any shortcomings, other than literally. Uh, it's on a screen, which is the same, like, you know, limitation that films and TVs have. Uh, so it's like, you know, whatever you do is on a rectangle in the middle of your living room. And if there's a way, I mean, VR exists, but if there's a way to, like, have it kind of all around you to for you to be able to do more physical things to, like, fully inhabit that world, which, yeah, motion controls in on certain consoles and, yeah, VR headsets are kind of breaking that boundary a bit more. Um, I think the main limitation uh, comes with the industry uh, and comes with what has proved most popular in recent years. And the image that certain generations that have of video games is that it's all, like you say, Grand Theft Auto, shooty, shooty, bang, bang. And uh, it's all violent and it's all uh, uh, just encouraging, like, you know, violent behaviors and like blood splatter or whatever. And in a certain regard, that's, that's not that's that's not an unfair opinion because throughout the entire 2000s uh it was ruled by like your call of duties and your battlefields and your halos and your uh, medal of honors and like just the just the shooting games uh and when like that's they're yeah, like 80 percent of the market yeah it does reduce what people think the scope of video games can achieve so it's yeah that that's the limitation really just that it's the market basically yeah that that isn't what people buy essentially (laughs) essentially Um, yeah when you try and do something a bit more um it only sells i don't know like five hundred thousand units in a year or whatever but when you do the the let's say quote-unquote easy option of just like yeah shooting a dozen aliens out the sky and that sells five million units well then what are the companies going to reproduce time and time again i think there's something as well in that sort of games where you are given the ability to make decisions and go one way or the other in terms of your Mm. morality i suppose there's kind of this assumption i think sometimes that the decisions you make are in some way reflective of who you are whereas like I don't I'm not sure that's really true like if (laughs) if you're there's certain games if you're given the opportunity to sort of see how badly you can act you're just going to do it out of curiosity and because it's part of the game but it doesn't necessarily reflect I'm thinking of taking ladders away from swimming pools in the Sims (laughs) it doesn't reflect a kind of dormant part of yourself it's just it's something you can do 
Like, if you were you know, physically, literally in that situation in real life, you wouldn't, um, you know, burn down the village. I, would, I wouldn't build uh, an annex in the garden for the eldest member of the family and then remove the door while they're inside. <laughs> I wouldn't do that. Yeah. And then just watch them from your godlike <laughs> like view down to the room. No, yeah, you wouldn't. You know. But it's just because literally the, um, like, you're able to be given these escapist powers in the video game. That's the only reason why you do it. And some people really have, a, a I guess, a kind of moral quandary or a, or a struggle with... Yeah, how they play certain games, role-playing games, RPG games, where um, where you're given like you know that power. Do you? Uh, or what is your character? Is your character like that established character separate from you? I know they're a uh, uh, they're in medieval times and they're the sheriff of their town or whatever. Or do you play the game as that sheriff or do you play it as yourself? Some people. Yeah, they do it one way. Some people do it the other way. Some people do it a mix of both, and and also I think it's kind of um, hard for developers of video games to um, to to knowingly uh, create a game to knowingly create a game narrative specifically that caters to both those sides. So if you're gonna make a story that involves uh, uh, let's take Uncharted for example like a guy who's a he's a treasure hunter and he's a bit of a thief he's a bit of a wily kind of guy and he does uh, whatever he can to get the job done can you make a story where you have like that established character but then also the story caters for if me as a player I'm quite I don't know like shy and polite and I just want everyone to have a good time like can they make that narrative like realistically feasibly uh have that character, the, the the treasure hunter, and also my personal personality, which is a bit more reserved, probably not. So, uh, and and you normally get like games going one or two ways, where yeah, you either do like establish that character, that like you know, a, an aggressive alpha, <laughs> alpha male, alpha female, whoever it might be, uh, or you have just a very blank slate, mm. a very. Um, uh, a very non like they don't speak they're just a proxy just, for the audience basically yeah exactly just an avatar for you to like fill your own like decisions into and both those experiences both those games they do have value in different ways but it's hard to ratify both of them in the same package yeah when when there's a mix of kind of open world sandbox and then narrative it's often quite a funny uh, contrast when Every sort of narrative mission or level, whatever, whatever, um, really focuses mm-hmm. on the sort of moral um, uh, sort of quandary of the characters trying to be a good person, but is ending up in these difficult situations <laughs> and making difficult yeah. choices. And then as soon as the mission's over, you're just sort of rampaging around <laughs> the town, burning and destroying there, everything. You there's can a see. cursed phrase in video games, um, video games journalism uh, development called ludo narrative dissonance, where it's literally that where the character in the story is established as someone who um, uh, one of the, the Lara Croft reboot had uh, had this in spades, where it went back to Lara Croft's um, origins, like she's a, a girl in her early twenties, and you know she's a college uh, university student or just fresh out of university uh, and she's forced into the situation where you know she's she she's in the wilderness and she needs to survive and she needs to like strike back but she's really struggling to uh like fight against her oppressors and uh, oppressors and um the the moment of her first kill when she needs to like 
face this person down. If I don't kill him, he'll kill me kind of moment. She really struggles with it and it's really like emotional and, and there's a lot of gravitas. And then as soon as the uh, the control comes back to the player, you're just headshotting people left, right, and center. <laughs> About 500 bodies fall to the ground in half an hour. It's gruesome. And it's like, <laughs> and it's like yeah, that difference between... <laughs> she got, all, got over the conflict pretty quickly. Pretty quickly, yeah. <laughs> and a lot of video games have the same problem where, you know, every single, anytime someone kills someone in a cutscene, there's like a lot of weight and gravitas, but then as soon as you you pick up the controller again, yeah. No, I remember feeling that in Red Dead Redemption too. Yeah, that was the really <laughs> sort of weighing heavy on the character. And then yeah, as soon as you're back in control, you just you can barely turn a corner in that game without ending up in some violent confrontation. It's horrible. Um, but yeah, and I feel and I feel sorry for them because it's just uh, like developers. I mean, because it it's just the nature of games. And like I was saying, it's just like where popular games have gone in this uh, in the, in the world we're in, where yeah, you kind of need to have these. Uh, high action moments in order for people to want to engage with them but also if you want to tell like a story with grit you got to have the the emotional stuff and it just don't work out <laughs> it's, no it's a tricky uh, tightrope to walk um, but we're going to look at a few games now that have put the kind of um, the social message and maybe tried to make the audience think about a certain issue at the forefront of what they're doing. Yeah. Uh, I've got a few examples. I don't know if you uh, can think of any off the top of your head, but um, the one that stood out for me straight away was Papers, Please. I don't know if you're aware of Papers, Yes. Please. Oh, great game. Uh, and that really, it, it kind of pulls the rug out from underneath you before yeah. you really know what's going on. Yeah. I mean, for, for anyone listening who isn't aware, it's... Um, basically puts the player in the position of a border guard um, in some, yeah. some fictional sort of... Um, yeah, Soviet Union-style. country, yeah, checking papers for people trying to come into the country, and there's certain criteria that they have to meet for you to let them in. Um, so you have to make those decisions. You can take bribes. Yeah. Uh, if you let people in that you shouldn't, you get docked wages. Mm. And As then, the game progresses, the requirements they change. for what you've got to check like yeah. advance, so you've got to keep more in your head. And yeah, it's and timed. Yeah, it's like, timed, and there's different factors that lead to things. the rules changing, um, which is kind of an interesting concept in, in and of itself, but then it really sort of brings home what that sort of work and environment does to people when at the end of each kind of cycle, you have to spend the money that you've made yeah. on sort of rent and food. <laughs> and yeah. yeah, you may have been docked wages for making mistakes. You may have taken a bribe that day. So it kind of puts it puts the, your those decisions linked to your kind of survival, well, it, I guess. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it puts your sense of like self-preservation and uh, your um, family's self-preservation versus what's right yeah uh just like yeah morally or what you consider morally right i guess because it never explicitly says the game itself uh i guess that's like the commentariness of it yeah i suppose it also lets you decide what because it doesn't say in order to be a good person you need to let x y and z in yeah you might be someone that thinks the only moral way to act in that situation is to only allow people in that have the correct paperwork. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and the game, the game doesn't judge the you for that game or punish you. In fact, or, it would yeah. actually reward you for that. But <laughs> well, if yeah, you get more wages, right? <laughs> if you're someone who has, you know, I'd hope mm. most people playing it would have some sort of sympathy for people that may not have the right documentation but are in a diff mm. difficult situation. Help An impulse to help those people won't actually necessarily be... 
you won't be rewarded for it and you may yeah, even be punished yeah. it's um it's real good storytelling through its systems mm. uh, exclusively because yeah there's no uh, i think there's uh, there's some text at the start of the game just like setting up who you are and where you are uh, and then there's no you know like cut scenes or uh, like well dialogue that is exposition like after that after the fact uh and yeah the the systems of the game you get like a certain number of wages you've got a quota of um people to let in or not let in or whatever um like at during every day uh and yeah you've just got to like make those more decisions yourself it's it's such a great game yeah um, and yeah really makes you question uh, yourself yeah <laughs> before anything because like we were saying like um you're given the options to you know like uh, uh to blow up a building or whatever in lots of video games and sometimes you just test yourself to or just test to see what the game can do or whatever uh and yeah very much you 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 test yourself like morally mm. <laughs> in that game to see what you're willing to yeah that was to do. no that was the big one that jumped out on me when we were talking about this there was also um a game called this war of mine Oh, I haven't heard of uh, that. One. Which is really interesting. It's it kind of links what you were saying before about the the games that make money, being mm. the shoot 'em ups and your sort of Call of Duty and that sort of uh, thing. Because it's it's set during a siege of a city during a war. Yeah. Um, it's a survival game, but rather than focus on the soldiers, you are just a group of people trying to survive in a house under a siege. Oh. And. Um, Basically, there's snipe, there's sort of hostile snipers outside, so you can't leave during the daytime. So during the right. day, you just have to try and fortify where you are. Oh, okay. And then at night, you can leave and scavenge and try and find supplies. You're talking um, like a mix of a tower defense and a survival horror kind of thing. Kind <laughs> of, yeah, yeah. It's not far off actually, because you and then you do encounter other people who are trying to survive, right. and you can actually. You can help people turn up at your door as well and ask oh. for help. You can help people. You can rob people. You can kill people. Okay. Um, if you help someone, does that mean like your like rations or supplies are then shared? I think so. Yeah, I think so. But it basically yeah. emphasizes like the lack of kind of objective morality in war, basically, mm. and what oh, yeah, what yeah. the positions and decisions people are forced into in those situations, and how there's no kind of there's no sort of redeeming heroic nature when you're just a, <laughs> a person stuck in the middle of a war, basically. It's really interesting. But yeah, I can imagine um, uh, there must be like some kind of comment or element of um, uh, the people in charge, uh, they're, I don't know, like advertising, petitioning, oh yeah, this war is necessary and this war, like once it's all over, like, you know, we're going to be the greatest nation or whatever in the world or whatever. But actually in that moment, for the people that the, the people in charge are supposedly like making a better life for, it's it's not great at all. Yeah, and there's kind of in certain situations, there's not much to sort of pick between no. either side, essentially. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's an interesting one. Did you have any examples of it that um, you can think of? Yeah, so when I was kind of thinking of um, uh, games that try to do more than the game, honestly, my first thought was Pokemon Go. Because uh, <laughs> it's uh, it, it's a game that. Um, well, one, it, it took over the world in like 2016, yes, five years ago. Can you even remember? Can you even uh, believe that was like five years ago or whatever? But um, where it was like, you know, just a just a mobile game on the surface. It was trying. To, it had an underlying uh, goal of trying to get people out walking in the world, exercising, exploring the local area, uh, which which I think was like a really, really good, well. I mean, it did it. Um, better than anything before it and after it everything has tried to re redo what it did uh it was 
so yeah, for those who obviously don't know, and how couldn't you, because it literally took over the entire world, uh, it's a game where there are these colorful creatures, they're called Pokemon, and they're out in the world. It's on your mobile phone, and you have to physically walk to their real-life location where they are in the world. Your goal is to get as many of them as possible, gotta catch them all as the mantra goes. Uh, and by traveling physically to a place in your world, down the high street, your local church, whatever, you can open up your camera and... Uh, open up the camera through the game and you can see like a virtual projection of that real life Pokemon on the floor and then swap a Pokeball at it to catch it. There are also real life landmarks around the world where um, uh, they're called, there are these special spots, they're called gyms and you can take them over by battling the uh, super big Pokemon that's been left there by someone else and you're part of a team and your goal being part of your team is to take over as many spots as possible and obviously you're rewarded for all those things. So while... Well, yeah, you get a lot of like, yeah, plus numbers and candies and uh, and other like magical things within the game. That's just like a motivation tool to get you to physically travel from place to place. And what actually happened was where so many people were playing it, uh, like there was a spike in like just general fitness of like people uh, in at that sort of time period, as well as uh, local businesses getting in on the Pokemon Go craze and ask and um, really putting that advertising front and center and getting like a lot more business, like, you know, shops and cafes and stuff, getting people to actually like come in and spend more. So there was like a boom in um, local business profits. And it was just, even though, like kind of like, again, the power of video games, even though um, the game itself is just, you know, catching cartoons and getting like a lot of plus numbers, it actually like had this outcome of getting everyone super fit and finding things in their local area, like you know statues or, uh, or or weird buildings or whatever in their local area that they may never have seen without a Psyduck being by a <laughs> bin somewhere. <laughs> yeah, I remember there being lots of stuff when that was around about sort of reports of people that had found landmarks in their area that they didn't even know existed and yeah. had never seen before. Yeah, was, yeah. yeah. Quite, I, I mean, I didn't kind of expect that as a as an outcome of that game. And but. I think that was like their goal. The company that um made it in collaboration with the Pokemon company Nintendo is a company called Niantic. And uh before Pokemon Go they had another game called Ingress. Uh and that is this is pretty much the same game. Instead of um, uh, gyms, the landmarks, they call them portals, and you're on two teams rather than the three teams to try in Pokemon Go, uh, and you've got to fight against the other team to take over these portals, and it's, um, it's a bit of a sci-fi theme. Uh, and that was a new IP, that was a new um, like intellectual property, a new idea, so it had a certain number of players, but it didn't go really big. If you, t- if you attach it to something as like huge as Pokemon, literally the same idea, attach it to Pokemon, that's when it went gangbusters. Uh, and the company are always, th- their entire like ethos is about AR games that encourage exploration and uh, and yeah, that kind of GPS geolocation um, element to it. And funnily enough, after Ingress, two teams, then they move on to Pokemon Go, which had three teams on it. They then moved on to um, the Harry Potter franchise, uh, Harry Potter Wizards Unite, another smartphone game. Again, the same idea, except instead of um, catching Pokemon, you're like fighting Harry Potter mythical creatures. 
uh, that has the four houses on it. So they've gone from two to three to four. I'm desperately trying to think of something with five facets to it. <laughs> <laughs> that will be their next. That'll be their next project. And people are still playing Pokemon Go. It's still got a huge fan base. It actually oh, yeah. grew over the pandemic. Well, that makes sense. I suppose people going out on their walks. Well, yeah, yeah, and um, I think they made some adjustments to it in order to because they're still like um, you know had to be socially distance conscious. Uh, so they made some um, uh, some changes to the formula. Uh, like one being normally in order to catch a Pokemon, you need to be within 40 meters of where it spawns on your map or whatever. Once you're within that radius, then you can then you can throw a Pokeball at it and catch it or whatever. But they increased that to 80 meters. So you can technically catch like, I don't know, 15 things from your living room. Uh, they made those like circles overlap a bit more. But uh, but no, yeah, it, it did like increase. I think uh, it, like it made like over just under two billion dollars or something throughout wow. 2020 <laughs> and it was and it's been like you know on the highest um downloaded highest played um okay. charts for well if they do years. need a new uh a new idea then what about the the hobbit the five armies ah there we go they can have that for free there you go okay <laughs> i'm writing in <laughs> oh yeah and then uh another game that like tried to be um more than a game um have you heard of a uh, uh, super mario maker not Super Mario Maker, no. Or Gary's Mod. I can't say I have. Or Game Builder Garage. No. Or Dreams. <laughs> no. So, <laughs> so what these are, are they're games that teach you how to make games, okay. essentially. So you get your PlayStation controller, Nintendo controller, whatever, um, and it gives you a, a, a blank slate, and it gives you the ability to like like lay the land, to place a character down, uh, to place obstacles, to place enemies, uh, and like what counts as like a win or a loss or whatever. I guess like like Minecraft or like other kind of open world games where or sandbox games where you don't like necessarily like have a goal or a set uh, yeah, a set objective. Just giving people that blank slate sets imaginations on fire. And the the stuff I've seen in any of those games, it 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 genuinely like rivals in terms of quality, the stuff that official like companies and game developers produce. Like, uh, so taking one of those for example, Super Mario Maker, you make 2D side-scrolling Mario levels. Um, and yeah, there's a lot of freedom in it. You can like add wings to like a squid. You can fill a hole with like sentient cannonballs. You can like create a staircase to heaven and then you can talk to an angry son or whatever. It's it, there's, there's a lot of like elements within like the Mario games from like our kid childhood that uh, you can like mix and match or whatever, and just from like them releasing that kind of like toolkit. Uh, and may I like reiterate, this is like a game, and there is <laughs> <laughs> this is like something you put in a video game console and you play it on your screen of a game controller. But um, you can like create your own level, and uh, the second game, uh, so Super Mario Maker and Super Mario Maker Two, the second game, the users made more than twenty six million Mario levels wow. on it, and that's. Pretty astounding when you consider, like, Nintendo have only themselves made, like, up to a thousand Mario levels. Right. So, <laughs> that's, like, absolutely nuts. Um, not all of them are, like, you know, incredible quality. Not everyone is Shigeru Miyamoto, like, a, a, an absolute king of game design. But I saw someone made a grandfather clock. Uh, there's a lot of, like, Rude Goldberg machines where you just, like, drop down and then the whole thing, like, bounces you along to the end flag in, like, really incredible uh, like well, feats of skill, feats of like you know jumping prowess, 
Um, and I saw someone like made a calculator in it, like a fully functioning <laughs> calculator in a in a game. Wow, it, it's absolutely <laughs> nuts. Um, and another one, Dreams, uh, that came out on the PlayStation Four uh, a couple of years back, and that was touted to be the most uh, the most advanced like video game maker. As it were, and oh, and with all like uh, all these games or whatever, a side of it is you can make your own game, but also a side of it is you can just play other people's games, uh, which is pretty good. You don't even need to like make it yourself; you can just like literally play an infinite number of an infinite number of games. So you know, for something that costs about thirty, forty quid, that's a lot of bang for your buck to be able to play like infinite games. Um, but Dreams, for example, uh, that's got a collaboration uh, element to it, and it's. Uh, like I say, it gives you the power to like make the landscape, make a character, make an enemy, but you don't have to make all those things. You can make just one of those things. You can just make an enemy, you can just like draw out a special item, you can just make music, you can just make uh, like a background, like a really artistic background or whatever, and other people making the game can pick other people's elements and then put them together in their own level, and everyone gets equal amount of credit for like the bits that they uh, the bits that they put together for it. So I've seen uh, someone make like a really super detailed Sonic the Hedgehog right. and somebody else make like an amazing, uh, uh, I don't know, like level with all the ramps and all the like loop-de-loops and whatever in like a massive kind of 3D plane. And then somebody else puts them together with his music track and the and the ding ring sound. And it's genuinely like, such an impressive looking thing that even Sega themselves like haven't topped right. it, depending on you know your opinion or, or whatever. <laughs> um, uh, someone or some people I think have made like such incredible um, Super Mario models that Nintendo themselves asked for them to be taken down because they oh, consider wow. it bordering <laughs> on copyright infringement. <laughs> Because like Nintendo, you know, essentially like that's our character that's on, on PlayStation. Highest we form of praise, isn't it? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> when Senpai, when Senpai himself asked you to get off of his platform, you're so good at it. You're now stealing from us. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> and and I guess like the the whole like when it tries to be more than just a game, and it's it's it. These are games like that you make games, and uh, they teach people like how to do the thing that they love like consumers become producers and it leads to uh like this like you know this product being the the start of someone's career Mm -hmm. normally yeah um and you know they they like it creates like a whole new generation of like uh programmers and uh yeah like game designers who get their start from like this thing hopefully like affordable thing uh that they can get I don't know. It's it's just it's just like when when you're when you're making a product and you're trying to uh, be I don't know you you know you're trying to sell units or whatever and you're just trying to like you know get to the next product or whatever make sure everyone in the company can feed their children or whatever but you can also like achieve like that extra objective of creating like a new generation of um, people then it's it's just a good thing for everyone I think absolutely uh, and there's also like a a question. Uh, a, a couple of fun questions where someone that makes a game, let's take Dreams for example, um, someone that makes a game within Dreams, uh, let's say that game is like really, really good, good enough that it gets an award, then what gets the award? The game within Dreams or Dreams itself? Right. Yeah. <laughs> like if the 
if the if the person that made the game like consider okay this game's got like legs it's got it's popular enough um i'd like to sell this game then who has the ownership of it is it like that creator or is it the dreams platform and or do they have to like split the profits or do dreams have any uh, uh, uh like moral obligation to like allow people to like strip their own games out and like do something else with them has that been resolved that uh, thankfully, I don't think there have been any games good enough to. Okay. I'm <laughs> to sure get that one day there'll but... be an awkward conversation to be yeah, had. Yeah, yeah. I, I think, um, yeah, the question was asked, and I think last I heard, they said, oh, yeah, we'll think about it. And I haven't heard the end of that thought. <laughs> right, okay. <laughs> um, well, that brings us on to talk about uh, Newsflash. Yeah. So tell me about news. What is Newsflash? Uh, what sort of game is it, and um, what topics is it so, trying to address? Yeah, n- Newsflash. It's a it's an online uh, web browser game, so you can play it in Google Chrome or whatever. It's at um, www.newsflashgame.org, and um, it's a it's a mystery game. At, at, on the face of it, uh, you, the player, have to investigate uh, the the mystery of a missing teacher uh, at a school. And there's a number of uh, loose red herring plot lines. There's a number of uh, like theories that are being thrown around that you need to uh, prove or disprove through uh, research and uh, fact checking. Because the game is it's about misinformation and it's about fake news and it's about uh, well, what it does is it kind of teaches the player or imply strongly to the player to be like more critical of the information you hear that uh you know someone can say anything and if you just like believe it on the face of it well that's probably not a very good idea but if you can go away do your own research think about it a little bit more and then come to your own decisions as to like what you believe is true or not then who knows you might find the missing mr clark uh, so who was that developed uh, developed with? Oh, yeah. So it was um, created by uh, Southern Council's Cultural Services, and uh, it was funded by the Engaging Libraries uh, Fund. Um, created in collaboration with, uh, uh, or, well, designed and written by uh, Adam Dixon, uh, artwork by Francesca Ross, and um, research support by Gianfranco Polizzi. And it's, um, uh, yeah, it was a real... Uh, Gosh, like the development period of any game is obviously like difficult or whatever, but the uh, the number of like parts that came together to make this happen was really something quite magical because it started off uh, well, it started off with the concept of like how to uh, bring up how to bring up like misinformation and fake news uh, in a way that's not just I don't know like reading a book or not just like giving. Uh, like sheets to people and like asking them to like read a bunch of stuff. How do you make it interesting and engaging and uh, do it in a way that the player themselves like intuits uh, like what it's trying to say about just explicitly telling them? Because, you know, once you kind of, I, I don't know, I guess it's kind of like Inception or whatever, you kind of want to plant the idea in their head without them like consciously knowing that it's in their heads. So, like how do you kind of do that? Um so there was like a lot of um, there's a lot of development there's a lot of testing they um, went to because uh, it's aimed at um, uh, it's aimed at sort of like teens preteens so they went to a few like focus groups with um, uh, school children to uh, get their ideas and get their input on, on like how uh, 
how that topic can be like you know addressed in a way that they'd find fun and and i think they really really pulled it off with newsflash absolutely so yeah what has do you know what the response was when that was sort of released and taken into yeah it ca- it came out to um uh to rapper's applause um <laughs> there uh the kind of reviews and the feedback was all uh, really, really positive. The art style in particular um, was like really, really praised because it's got this kind of um, cartoony look, uh, but where it's like a, where it's a, a sort of a, essentially a click and point game, it's got a bit more interactivity to it than you'd expect for for that kind of genre of game. Uh, and the fact that it's like really accessible, like you don't need to like buy something from a from a store, like it's literally right there available on your uh, uh, on your computer, on your internet browser, um, people really appreciate that element to it, and uh, and yeah, it's a topic that um, like the term fake news has only kind of existed for the last like you know two years or whatever. After you know a certain gentleman uh, who left office um, made it popular, but the idea of like not believing what you not believing everything you hear that idea has been around for a long time, but we don't really address it or mm-hmm. talk about it or um, I don't know, educate people about it like very often in general. So, uh, uh, so yeah, kind of finding that gap in the market, as it were, and like kind of tapping into that idea was something that people really, really liked and responded to. I know there's sort of, there's lots of emphasis in the game of like uh, you might find a source that might be of interest um, on the face of it, but then when you look a bit closer, it's it's come from a sort of not a very reputable source online or yeah. that sort of thing. And I, f- I think that's quite a, it's quite an important thing to address. I mean, I'm kind of, on the one hand, it's it's amazing for you sort of kids now to be growing up in a in an age where they can get sort of information about anything they want sort of instantly. Mm. Um, but on the other hand, I, as someone who didn't grow up with the internet, I don't envy <laughs> the minefield that it is to kind of navigate um, yeah, misinformation and yeah. sort of things that are deliberately put there to to mislead you. And, you know, that has existed for f- as long as information has mm. existed. But mm. I think it's especially difficult in the sort of internet age. And I, I think it's great to... Um, to kind of highlight that, I guess, <laughs> to those to those people. Yeah, you are right. You are kind of like... Um, uh, we've grown up in a different ball game than someone, <clears throat> than someone who's grown up now. Um, and the game... Like you say, it gives you, uh, it gives you certain like roots that you can like investigate, but then actually it you know comes to nothing, and that person might be might have been a bit untrustworthy. Like um, uh, you find out whether the teacher was supposed to be at a football game on Saturday because, but then they didn't show up on in a photo on a Friday. So then someone says they saw them in an argument being abducted, but actually that information was untrustworthy. And it, and it kind of throws a lot of twists and turns at you that you've got to like untangle and unravel and use like a lot of critical thinking and research like by going on the internet and finding like books to rule out what can and can't be possible uh and then yeah come to your own um judgment and i don't know i'm just like thinking like we all i like you know anyone in themselves we all think we've got like a good like judgment and a good eye and we'll be able to like you know oh i know what's true and i don't and i know what's not true whatever and i just know or whatever but uh, like you say, as long as as long as like humanity has been around, there have been like fraudsters and uh, tricksters and people who want to pull the wall over your eyes. And you know, 
some of them have been successful. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's a whole sort of very profitable industry mm. um, that exists purely to create convincing misinformation. So you can be as kind of cynical <clears throat> and intelligent as you like, but you're not going to get everything. So, um, no, I think it's it's kind of good to highlight that. Yeah. Um, so how long is the, the game going to... St- going to be available to play uh it's available right now and uh it will still be up i oh don't don't keep it to a number i think for the for up to the next year potentially but i'd get to it now while you can if you're going to play it because it's uh, it's not going to be around forever great and uh just remind us of the url again uh www.newsflashgame.org n-e-w-s-f-l-a-s-h-g-a-m-e.org yeah, so head there to play Newsflash and find Mr. Clark, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, we're nearly uh, nearly out of time. Um, typically on the show, we've asked guests to uh, come with three Desert Island books, uh, oh. which they've kind of have been important to them or they've enjoyed for particular reasons. Right. I thought this week it might make more sense if we did Desert Island games. I'm curious Ooh. to hear your three three games that have meant a lot to you for various reasons whatever oh, they may be oh this is fun okay so um, yes thank you for giving me the games one I do read books but um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah games is definitely like a lot a lot more fun you know what it's so uh, when I when I started thinking about this when you told me that uh, I needed to cope with like free games uh, immediately the thought maybe I got a bit too technical about this but immediately the thought was a desert island game is if you're on a desert island uh, and you had nothing else to play what? Oh uh, well, yeah. And what would be the free games like? You Let's also assume you've got, you've got a generator on the island. So. Yeah, yeah, uh, and a stable internet connection. Yeah. Uh, well, so I was thinking, okay, so if I'm by myself on this island, then that means multiplayer games are out. Because uh, <laughs> <laughs> immediately, like Smash Brothers and Mario Kart would have been well up there. But my first uh, choice was Tetris. Honestly. Oh wow. Uh, Solid. Y- yeah, yeah. It's um, it's it's honestly the. <laughs> the greatest game that was ever made and it's such a simple idea and uh, I remember hearing like loads of developers uh, loads of interviews where anyone that thinks of the concept of Tetris they're like I could have thought of that but you didn't <laughs> yeah, yeah. one guy did and it's it's bowled the world over because uh, and with all the games on my desert island um, I wanted to think of games that uh, when, when you play them it's like a new situation every time you don't want to uh, I mean, I guess this is like some of the power in like games over films and books, uh, where if you're reading the same thing over and over again, you know the story, you know the narrative, and eventually it will get repetitive and dull to you. But uh, with a lot of games, they uh, they have um, systems that, well, they create brand new situations and brand new mental processes and how you're going to tackle like this situation like every single time. In Tetris, there's like literally a limitless number of like box combinations that. You wanna that you wanna untangle. It also does feed to that part of your brain that just wants everything to be clean and any kind of like quote unquote mess in that game is through your own inability or fault or whatever, and you just wanna like fix it, essentially. Yeah, I mean it's beautiful in its simplicity, isn't it? I mean yeah. there's a there's a few games from that era um that are just still still played and loved everywhere. Mm. Um that's sort of Pac-Man and it's just the more yeah. simple it is oddly enough the more you can come back to it whereas a lot of games that have a sort of five year kind of marketing cycle yeah. building up to this huge headline release <laughs> and then they come out and 
they're fine. They're <laughs> yeah, very, yeah. they're they're <laughs> very complicated. Of course, millions of dollars to make. Yeah, they're f- sort of flawed but solid. And within <laughs> yeah. sort of eighteen months, they've just been completely forgotten about yeah, and wiped a, out of the cultural memory. You have a pretty good week with it. Yeah, Tetris um, is uh, well. It's, it's been going for about forty years now. I think it was a, um, it was a Soviet um, mathematician, I believe. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think he single-handedly destroyed the production uh, <laughs> levels of the place where he worked by addicting everyone in the office I with mean, Tetris. It's kind of like a bittersweet story as to the creation of that game as well, because yeah, like you say, because it was like a made in like Soviet Russia. Um, uh, because of the communist nature of of the time, he didn't make a single cent off of mm. <laughs> of a Tetris in the time, um, which is a shame. But then he went on to make the Tetris Company and has since like reaped some spoils in um, further spinoffs and sequels and whatnot. Um, Tetris was also, uh, or at least I kind of really discovered Tetris in university because um, you know you're so busy and you need and you don't have any spare time in the world. Uh, I heard about something called the Tetris Effect, which was like a certain mental visual disorder where if you played Tetris like a lot, you'd start to see squares in real life and start to see um, opportunities to fit things into other things. (laughs) Just like, just generally, it would like affect your vision like that. And I'm a psycho. I thought that sounded cool. So I intentionally got addicted to it (laughs) just to like see if it would happen. Um, it, it it didn't really happen. Uh, I didn't really get it. That was a that, that was a waste of I don't know about six months or whatever. But I can now fit shopping into shopping baskets nice. very efficiently. I recently discovered a genuinely quite impressive talent for basically moving house. Oh right, yeah. And the packing up <laughs> of the of a house, uh, yeah, both in terms yeah. of speed and efficiency of space and. It's only now occurring to me that that might be because of a misspent youth playing Tetris. Next Desert Island game, um, The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. Mm. Uh, again, one of the uh, a modern game um, came out 2017, uh, held as the greatest game of all, well, one of the greatest games of all time. Um, an open world game uh, where the, the systems in that game, the, mul- the multitude of interacting systems creates some honest to god breath-defying clever moments um that game makes you feel like a genius in more ways than one when you're playing it um for example a classic let's say i don't know like puzzle or something you should do in that game when you start the game uh you start with no clothes on you're in nothing but a pair of boxer shorts uh and there's an objective that there's a there's somewhere you've got to go to and it's at the top of a cold mountain and if you go to there, like in your current form, you will freeze and you'll die. So how do you stay warm while getting to the top of that mountain? The game provides you with so many possible opportunities or so many possible like solutions to that predicament. Uh, and it feeds them to you in like very subtle ways. So uh, on your way, uh, it won't point anything out to you, but there'll be a plant and that plant will have will be growing chili peppers. And you find out if you... Uh, eat a chili pepper then you'll become like hot you'll become warm and the further you go into like a cold environment you'll still be like warm for i don't know let's say like 30 seconds or something so if you collect enough of these chili peppers then you'll be able to like eat enough and take enough time to like climb up the mountain as you are or there's um uh, uh, there are trees and if you chop down a tree you get wood and you can set the wood on fire and then that will make like a fire for you and if you keep on like creating fires up the path 
you'll then again still be warm, like within the warm glow of the fires that you make. Or there's a quest, um, a very short quest. I think you just got to bring a man a fish uh, rather than teach him to fish, uh, and he'll give you a warm jumper. And if you use that warm jumper, then you'll be able to. So there's like loads of different solutions to every single puzzle in the game. And it won't explicitly tell you how to solve anything, but because you're working it out for yourself, you feel like an absolute Albert Einstein. <laughs> it's, it's, it's an absolutely beautiful game. Another uh, series that's really endured. I think if I was yeah. doing my Desert Island games, um, Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time would probably be in mine. So. Yeah, um, one of the kings. Yeah, yeah so I mean, it's an obvious choice, but uh, <laughs> it's obvious for a reason. Well, I'm a sucker for I'm a sucker for time travel. Um, mm. And yeah, what that game does with um, uh, essentially two different characters, but also, uh, yeah, you're the same character and, and two different worlds, but also the same world. Uh, it's... There's a, and also how well thought out like all the races and the characters and how um, there's there feels like a grand law like a, 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 a like a history there that you're kind of inserting into for this for the period the time period that you're playing it on um, it's yeah no wonder it's like captured captured the imaginations and love of so many people absolutely yeah. and uh, finally and my last Desert Island game uh, have you heard of a little game called Untitled Goose Game. I have, yes. <laughs> I absolutely have. Yeah. It's amazing. It's absolutely fantastic. Again, um, another recent one. Uh, uh, the, uh, I mean, I, I don't know if you can tell from the title, Untitled Goose Game. Uh, it's a bit of a joke. Um, you get to play as a goose, and the goose is, is a bit of a prick. Uh, <laughs> like we are saying, like, you know, you just want to, like, push the, the limits of, like, what a game can do on the options it gives you. Uh, this is a game that lets you... That lets you honk. That's probably the biggest, best feature of that game. Uh, you can you can uh, you can grab things with your beak and then drag certain <laughs> things uh, out of the view of certain uh, uh, certain town goers. Uh, you can harass a child for no particular reason, just because it's funny. Uh, it's it's well, yeah. So the objective of the game is um, is you play as a goose and you're in this sort of like a English countryside village and you're uh, traveling around the village running amok and you get this list of objectives of things such as uh, 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 make the farmer wear his sun hat or uh, uh, <laughs> or try to put free sandwiches in the in the church steeple or whatever and you've got to try to manipulate like the objects in the game uh, but because of all the town goers they don't want their sandwiches in the church steeple if they see you they will try to remove said sandwiches from your awful little beak so uh so it's up to you to like distract people to get them away and then do the objectives and there's a it's not a violent game but there's a certain level of duck-based brutality to it that is just beautiful it's such a fun experience yeah i've i've never played that but i've seen lots of very amusing videos of just it just captures oh. the joy of just frustrating people yeah no yeah that, that, that game was a streamer's absolute paradise yeah. um everyone on twitch just wanted to <laughs> like it feels like you're breaking the psyches of this of this like lovely quaint innocent english village uh, <laughs> by just being by going to a pub and just like knocking all the glasses on the ground for no particular reason it's and it's again another one of those games where like every situation it's a i mean it's a smaller game it will probably take you about i don't know 
four hours to complete maybe um but there are just so many like circumstances situations that are like just different and uh, uh it, it the way it demands you to like move in certain regards because the duck is also the goose rather is also a little bit unwieldy like is a bit off balance and off kilter so <laughs> kind of like uh, uh working with his waddle is <laughs> it's part of the challenge in itself reminds me of um the goat simulator. That, ah, uh, yes. A, a, a young relative of mine became obsessed with a couple of years ago, much to the confusion of his family. Um, but yeah, it's a similar sort of thing. Yeah, it really is. It's, it's just one of those that someone somewhere thought, what if I was a goat? <laughs> and no one stopped them. <laughs> they were so busy thinking whether or not they could, they didn't think about whether or not they should. Yeah. <laughs> Basically, but uh, well, those are three very good choices. I'm glad I put that question to you. <laughs> thank um, you very much. So, uh, yeah, that's all we all we have time for, pretty much. Uh, thank you, Josh, for joining us this week. Thank you for um, having me. Would you like to uh, have the last word and maybe tell us uh, just briefly what do video games mean to you? What do video games mean to me? Uh, I mean, I don't know if you could tell from my ramblings, but they mean a whole damn lot. Uh, it's uh, it's it's a way. Uh, I mean, apart from the desert island thing that I just did now, where you know there was no there was no friends on the island, but it's a way to make friends. Um, like there are certain there are certain big multiplayer games out there that have brought me the closest friends in my entire life uh, that I wouldn't have it any other way for. Um, it's it, it's uh, it's a like a well being like release. There's nothing quite like. Throwing off the shackles of the workday and putting on Hulk armor destruction and sticking up your sticking on your Hulk uh, gloves and just smashing New York City to pieces uh, and just like you know just working all that out. Uh, games are, uh, are are a way to have like art and I don't, know, I don't want to say like science, but like games are a way to have. Uh, like art and entertainment kind of like mixed in that perfect blend like something could be like really deep and really emotional and it can also be like really visceral and get your get your mind working get your fingers working it can it, it can do like so many things in such a small package uh through such as uh through such a conventional um uh medium as like you know a game controller and a tv screen that I don't know why it's <laughs> why it's not loved by more people. Um, it's an industry that has like taken. Uh, it's an industry that has um, made more profit in more recent years than films and music and TV almost combined at this point. So it's it's on the up and it's um, it's not. Uh, it's kind of mainstream, even though I think the general public see it as like still a kid's toy, essentially. Uh, so like that level of appreciation like that it's kind of coming up into the forefront is really really good to see and and honestly they're they're just fun welcome back listeners thanks to josh for finding the time to sit down with me and share his knowledge and opinions. And as always, thanks most of all to you for listening wherever you are. Don't forget to follow us on social media at Sutton Libraries on Twitter and Sutton Libraries London on Facebook and Instagram. Please leave a review of the podcast wherever you listen, if you can. And we'll see you next week for another chat with another special guest. And until then, keep reading.